Here we go. Thus, with those words, we begin a new series, a new season, a new chapter in the life of Four Oaks. We are going to be in 2 Corinthians for the next nine months, milking this awesome book for every morsel that God has for us in it. And let me tell you what we want to do this morning. We want to take our time to, to introduce this book. We want to highlight some key themes and trajectories and then use those as a launch point to talk about what God is doing here at Four Oaks, where we sense him leading us. Pastor Lance is doing this same, same thing down at the Midtown campus. And we want to we kind of bring, bring those two things together. What, what is 2 Corinthians all about? How does it relate to us? And how does it point us forward? And, and if you were to, to di, wanted to distill the essence of what 2 Corinthians is, let me share this, this, little, this little story with you. You know, Susan and I are, are familiar with a family back in Jackson, Tennessee that Susan grew up with, the Curlin family. And, and the Curlin family had a matriarch named Mrs. Val. And, and so there, she had multiple children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. She was one of these women at the family feast on Thanksgiving. All of the brood would kind of huddle around her and sit at her feet. And she was just this sort of sage. And she blended two things that all of us are just intuitively drawn to when they, when, when, when they find themselves located in one person. She had an insatiable desire for the Word of God. You could just kind of prick her skin and she bled Bible, okay? As John Piper would say, she was Bibline. And she just oozed, if I can use that word, just truth and wisdom. But she also, interestingly, just had an intense, passionate love for people. Aren't those a unique combination when they come in one package? And so oftentimes we don't sense them in equal proportions in people, but when they are, oh, those are special people. At the end of her life, and she had Alzheimer's, and she was rapidly deteriorating. And she had lost all of her faculties and didn't say much and was obviously suffered all the, the, you know, the deterioration of that disease. But right towards the end of her life, and all her family was sort of around her, and she was kind of huddled over there in the chair. And for one brief moment, minute or two, God's Spirit just gave her lucidity. She kind of broke out of that for just a brief moment. And it was like someone had unleashed the prophetess in there. And she was exhorting and encouraging and saying this to that family member and that to, fam- that to, that to another and just quoting Bible verses and then just kind of shut down. And she went on to be with the Lord soon thereafter. She lost everything But the last vestiges of what remained were an intense love of God's word, an intense love of his people, and she left it all on the field. Folks, that is the essence of 2 Corinthians 2. It is a deeply, deeply biblical book, but it is also deeply, deeply personal because our sage that we're going to be studying the next nine months is, in fact, the Apostle Paul himself. This is the most 
biographical book we have probably in the Bible, but certainly in the New Testament. Paul is, is, is deeply consumed with God's word, but his heart is breaking for these people that he has poured his life into. So remember from our study in Acts last year that Paul planted this church in Corinth in about 51 AD as part of his second missionary journey. It is now six or seven years later, and Corinth was and still is his problem child. Okay, can we still use that? Is that a PC term? Okay, it was his problem child. And we can understand why, because Corinth was, was planted, the church, in sort of a hotbed of immorality. You know, when Ray Stedman, who's now with the Lord as a pastor in California, preached through the book of 1 Corinthians, he called the series title, First Californians, or as Arnold Schwarzenegger would say, Californians, okay, whatever. And so his situation was, was, was one there where he was ministering where, what happens when you, when, when you birth a church in the midst of people who have no biblical categories, who come from a wretched lifestyle. And by the way, guys, this is going to be the, 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 the new reality for the church in America. Okay? This is going to be the new reality. When people are saved, they don't come nice and tidy. They come with all of their stuff. And that's what Paul is dealing here with in Corinth. And we're going to see some of these problems as we unpack this chapter in the coming weeks and months. But this is the second letter that Paul has written and he's, he's written it to address a number of issues and things going on in the life of the church. And we're going to notice almost out of the gate that Paul is oozing truth. But Paul is oozing a pastor's heart for his people. And we're going to get to the end, and we're going to see that Paul leaves it all on the field. And so we're, gonna, we're just going to read and unpack two verses today, and we're going to use these as, a, as launching points into where God is leading us as a church family for the coming season. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Five, you don't think we can get five points from that little two verses, do you? Oh, yes. We could do more, but we'll only do five. Five themes all evolve around Paul. Paul and authority, Paul and leadership, Paul and people, Paul and mission, and Paul and vision. And we got a lot to cover this morning, so let's pray and commit it to the Lord. Lord Jesus, Help us to be a good steward. Help me to be a good steward of our time. There's a lot that we could say, a lot we can talk about, and a lot we do need to say and talk about. But Lord, at the end of the day, we want to walk away changed. We want to walk away having tasted and seen you in your word. And for that, we are, we are irrevocably altered and transformed. So let your word have its way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul and authority. School has started. I'm looking around. I see a number of teachers, educators, administrators, 
that are represented here. And I know a little bit about teaching, mainly because Susan taught for a number of years. Well, I decided to go to school for 18 or 20 years after college. Okay, she was supporting, sort of supporting me behind the scenes there. And so she taught school. But I know a cardinal rule of teaching, and teachers, you can echo this or not. But, but from the first day of school until Labor Day, if you're a teacher, you better lay it down, right? Um, you, you, your class needs to know who is the boss. You, it's, it's a time for rules and authorities and boundaries, okay? Because you can always walk it back, right, if you're a teacher. You can always let off the gas pedal. But teachers, what happens if you show up the first day of class wanting everybody in the class to be your best friend? What happens? They may give you a wedgie, okay, in the back. I don't know. It's something, okay? Three minutes is about how long it took me to realize that God had not called me to elementary school teaching, but in fact had called me to be a pastor, okay? So Susan's in her class. I drop by to visit her. She's in, the, in, in Jackson, Mississippi teaching. And she said, not wise, but can you stand here for three minutes with this class while I run to the office or go to the bathroom, or take a smoke break, or whatever it was that she was doing at that time of the day. And I kid you not, she was gone three minutes, and that was plenty of time for a kid named Rodriguez to about get his head stuck in the trash can. Okay, so And I was like, this is, this is not for me. I had not established any boundaries, rules, parameters like she had. Okay. But in a sense, look at verse 1, that's what Paul's doing here. He says that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And this stuff is not incidental, for folks, because Paul wants to make it crystal clear for the church in Corinth, he wants to make it crystal clear for us that he's an apostle. That means he's been commissioned and sent by Jesus Christ himself to build the church, to preach the gospel. Remember, we preached through Acts Last year, the book of Acts, and in Acts 9, Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. And it is God's will that Paul represent Jesus in these planting and shepherding of these churches. Paul is, in a sense, guys, Paul is saying, I'm speaking on behalf of Christ. Which means, this book for the church in Corinth, this book for, for us, is not merely chicken soup for the Christian soul, okay? These are not suggestions or even sage advice. Folks, this is the very word of God, and it carries with it the authority of Christ himself. In this issue of authority, and let's let's be honest, that's that's a no-no word in our political and cultural context This is important on two levels. Let me talk about it personally and then how it applies to us as a church corporately. Personally, let me say this. Progressive, liberal spirituality has no problem with Jesus. In fact, Jesus is a welcome guest at the dinner table. A lot of people will say, I want to know Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to... I want to experience Jesus. Guys, a postmodern culture does not have a problem with Jesus. But the postmodern culture has a problem with Jesus in this way, that oftentimes we find people approaching him saying, you know what, Jesus, I want you, but I also want me. 
I want my identity. I want to do what I want to do. And I want it all at the same time. As someone a while back wanted to become a member of the church here, but she could not affirm a core part of our biblical doctrine related to God's design for sexuality and holiness. She wanted to do what she wanted to do and and be a Christian at the same time. Now, now let me say this. It's very easy to, to, to take a shot at the progressives. But all of us need to ask ourselves the most basic questions in regard to God's authority. Is God's word negotiable for you? Now, no one will ever say it out loud that it is. But I mean functionally. Does it set the trajectory for your life? The agenda? Or are you someone who finds that you're constantly trying to shoehorn God's word into whatever course you have previously decided to pursue. The issue of authority is is important for us personally. It's also important to us corporately. Now, when we get into the, the meat of this book in the coming weeks, Paul tackles it all. Trinity, the exclusivity of Christ, God's sovereignty and election and over suffering and repentance and biblical faith. And if those topics sound familiar, and I hope they do, it's where we have been camped out the last 13 weeks as we have plowed through our proposed statement of faith. We thought this was so important to spend so much time there because we felt like we wanted to put our theological stakes in the ground and say, this is what we understand God's word represents to us here at Four Oaks in this statement. We are quickly coming to the end of that season. And this is all culminating in an, uh, a vote of our members to affirm or not affirm the gospel coalition statement of faith. And so, so beginning today, as they say on Survivor, the power shifts to the jury. I guess something like that. Hope no one gets voted off the island. But nonetheless, okay, you're going to get an email today. It's going to give you instructions to vote. Um, some of you may be unclear, what am I even voting on? Okay, for you, okay, we have a, also have a link, and it goes to the Statement of Faith page, and it'll tell you everything you need to know in condensed form. You'll get a letter this week, for those of you who are still dialing up for your internet access, okay? If there's any of you, who's, who, is anybody still doing that, Josh? Somebody here is. I know somebody is, Okay. A lot of you, though, have, have a basic question, and it's basically this. Hey, okay, Pastor Paul, what if the church votes to affirm this statement of faith, and, you know, what does this mean for me? You know, what if I'm kind of uncertain about some of these issues, or what if I don't agree, or, or what if I'm just kind of confused? You know, what does this mean for me? Can, can I be a member of this church? Can I worship in this place? And, and, and let me try to kind of clarify a couple of things okay, as it relates to this. Because when you become a member of Four Oaks, you make five commitments. You're going to worship, you're going to serve, you're going to fellowship, you're going to give, and you're going to support the leadership of the church. And part of that support of leadership is that you affirm our doctrinal standards. And let me explain what this means and what it doesn't mean. Okay? What it doesn't mean 
okay, is that you can't have concerns, questions, uncertainty, or even disagreement about certain articles. You most certainly can. Okay, and, and, and let me let me use this example. Chil- parents of children with and that's what they are, adolescents, okay, I don't know about you, has curfew become an issue in your home? If it hasn't, it soon will, right? Okay? And, and, and I'm assuming that everyone in here, you have the same convictions about curfew as your children. Would that be correct? No. <laughs> Not even close, right? Okay? So, so your child might think midnight is a totally appropriate curfew. And for Susan and I, we think 8.30 is just fine, okay? <laughs> Seriously. Now, can, can, can one of our children have differing convictions about our curfew and still be part of the family? I mean, it's a silly question, but that's kind of what, what we're saying here. Sure, of course. They, you may have differing convictions in your family, but what makes for a healthy family? Well, that your children live under the house rules and they affirm your leadership and they unify and there's not unrest around those differing convictions. And it's the same thing in a church family. After affirming the statement of faith does not mean that you may have questions or uncertainty or even disagreement. Affirmation does mean I, I agree to live at peace in this place. I can in conscience know these are the doctrinal standards our leaders have set before us and I agree to support them, live under them, submit to them, I'm not going to teach against them. I'm going to unify around them. And, and, and if you have questions about that as you get ready to vote, come talk to one of us. Okay? We would love to engage with you on that. You're not going to have to sign anything in blood. Okay? There's, there's, no, there's no blood sacrifices involved at all in this thing. Okay? So, so we commend that to you. So that's authority. That's the first point. Second point, Paul and leadership. Now let's look back at verse 1. You know, it's not, we forget this, but you know, Paul was not the only author of this letter. Isn't that interesting? He's the primary author, but here it says in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, our brother. And this is the kind of stuff we just think is preliminary and we love to skip over. But there's something really profound here. Paul was never one to roll alone. And if there was anyone, any human that was qualified to to, to roll alone, wasn't it not Paul? Here he was, an apostle, speaking the very words of Christ. But just a cursory glance, and we we saw this last year when we studied Acts, just, just a sample of all the people that were part of Paul's group. Luke, Sosthenes, Priscilla, Aquila, Barnabas, John Mark, Silas, Phoebe, who's who of greatest names for your children, right? Titus, okay, Tychius. Guys, Paul did nothing alone. And by the way, do you know who else in the Bible did nothing alone but very well could have? Starts with J and ends with Jesus. Okay, right, you get Jesus, okay? The, the Son of God... But what did he do? He surrounded himself with 12 dufi, right? And they, and, they, and they traveled around with him, and he poured himself into them, and he vested themselves in him and him in them. And the presence of, of Timothy, guys, points to something very important. 
Okay, very important. Guys, Paul was never just concerned with the here and now. Paul had a commission to spread the gospel. Paul had a commission to pass the gospel torch. And he knew the success of that mission depended upon what he did right now. Paul knew that if he was not pouring himself into men and women, that the church might be blessed for right now, but when Paul was gone, the church would not be blessed. There would not be new leaders. There would, the, the gospel torch would not have been passed. And so, so think about this. This is, really, this is amazing when you think about it. We know at the end of his life, Paul lays dying in prison. His last words were to whom? Timothy. It's 10 years after this. But see, before this, Paul had known Timothy for 15, even 20 years, probably more like 15. Paul poured decades of his life into this man. And so when Paul is dying... What is Timothy now doing? Timothy is the pastor of Ephesus. And Paul is passing the gospel torch to him. Brooks, this is so important. This is so important. What you are investing yourself in right now has gospel implications for years, decades, Can I say this? Centuries beyond what you can even see. Parents, let me 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 give a personal application and a corporate application. When it comes to this idea of of gospel succession, gospel leadership, pouring yourself into others. I know, because I'm a parent as well, there's nothing you as parents want more, more than gospel, biblical faith for your children. Will my children walk with the Lord? Right? That, that's what keeps us up at night. That's what keeps us praying. That's what keeps us worrying. Which means this. What you do now has incredible impact, not just for now and whether you're going to navigate this week, but what happens five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, now matters. Which means you will have, you will, you must exert bold, courageous leadership. Parents, you might have to stick your fingers in your ears in order to pass a gospel legacy to your children. Because one day, children will leave home, Lord willing, right? Okay, we, we, we hope they leave home at some point. We love you kids, but we had, you know, time, time, to, time to get on out. They will, they will go to college, or they will get a job, and they will get married. What parents, what is, let me tell you this, what is, according to this, what is the, one of the most enduring legacies that you can give your kids? And I would simply say it's this, a vision for God's people, a vision for God's church and community. Because when they go, they have to have a place to go to. Paul's a living, breathing example that it's not just him and Jesus and we're all right. Is that Doobie Brothers? One of those. Anyway, one of those. Okay, Jesus is all right with us. No, no. Paul had his crew. Paul had his people that were with him and he with them. And in this, in, in this call, parents, we can't 
We can't bemoan the fact that 20 years from now, our kids are sort of isolated, independent, solo Christians when we haven't given them a vision right now for what it means to be a part of God's people. And, and that will mean tough choices. That, that will mean saying no to things. That will mean reordering your travel schedule. That will mean reordering your, your weekend church life. It, there, there's no shortcut to this. There, there, there is none. And, and we see Paul's priority in the way that he poured himself into the people that were closest to him. Okay, how does this apply to us corporately? Because let me, let me say this. Um, I've been here almost 20 years, and I can say, this is, you're used to pastoral hyperbole, right? That's just called pastor lying. Okay, anyway, but this is not a lie. This is, my truth bears with me in, in good conscience. I cannot imagine that there's any church that I'm aware of that has a more godly, mature group of lay elders and leadership than Four Oaks Church. I, I can't imagine. I'm, sh- I'm sure there is, and we'll get to heaven, and our guys will be way down on the list. But I don't think so. Okay, I think they're way up here. They have steered and navigated this church through crises and difficult times. They're not emeritus. They're not figureheads. They are in the trenches and we need to go, go grab an elder and, and like thank him and take him and his wife to lunch. Okay? The more expensive the lunch, the more you love him. Okay? So, so do that. Okay? But as a pastor, I can, I, can, I can be very selfish, and here's how. I can say, you know what? I don't want this to change. I want to keep this just like it is. I, 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 I want to keep the composition the, the, the same. And I, if anybody comes in from the outside or new leaders, it'll kind of mess it up. Okay? Guys, not only is that death to like your fellowship group, that kind of thinking is death to your fellowship group, it's death to a church. Because we have to be constantly thinking that it's not just us who need Jesus. It's our children and our grandchildren and the new people that come into Four Oaks 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the line. And so as an eldership, a pastorship, we feel compelled this coming season to be asking God, how do we push this idea of raising up gospel leaders into every area of our church life? What does that look like? What does that look like for me and the team as we pour into young emerging leaders who might one day be elders? What does it look like when, for example, Scott Stake, who oversees all of our fellowship groups, is setting up mentoring and coaching relationships where men are pouring themselves into men? What does it look like when Josh Hughes and Lance, who sort of been tasked with saying, hey, here we have this whole mass of people. How do we raise up leaders from, from this group? What sort of training do we need? What sort of classes do we need? Guys, pray for us. Because we're praying for you, that God will empower us and equip us to raise up people who want to pass the gospel torch. Guys, is that even on your radar? Is that on your radar? It's not just about us. This season, take someone with you. You're meeting with someone. You're leading a group. You're leading a Bible study you're, you're serving as a greeter. I don't know what you're... Bring someone with you. Who is going to be your Timothy this season? Your, your leaders are asking that. 
We're saying, okay, who are our Timothys? Who are we pouring ourselves into? Leadership. Third point, we're moving along. Paul and people. All right, look back at verse 1 and listen to how Paul addresses them. He says, Paul and Timothy, to the church of God that is at Corinth. Okay, notice that Paul doesn't simply say they're the church at Corinth and leave it at that. And, and, and this is important because there are a lot, and, and this is controversial, not PC, okay? There's a lot of churches, even in the city, that are churches, but they don't belong to God. And the reason they don't belong to God is because they do not acknowledge Jesus Christ, and they have functionally become clubs or communities or social gatherings. But Paul, I mean, guys, this is such a sweet phrase. He says, to the church, as at Corinth, but of what? Of God. Okay? It's possessive in the Greek. It means belonging to. This is God's church. And, and folks, that makes all the difference in the world. It means that the people there belong to him, that his spirit is working. Um, It's a great encouragement to us today to know you may have all kinds of problems. You may be just like the church in Corinth, boatloads of issues, okay? More issues than you can count, but that's not the greatest reality. That is not what defines you. What defines you and what defines me is that if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we belong to him. And Paul mentions this before anything else. And because of that, guys, there's problems in this book, but there's incredible graces that God has done in this church in Corinth. Okay, 1 Corinthians, we preached through 1 Corinthians 8 or 10 years ago. And if you recall from that time, this, this church put the function into dysfunction, right? Okay, so getting drunk at communion, divisions in the body, sexual immorality. Um, I mean, said the resurrection had already happened. I mean, humongous problems. But we get to 2 Corinthians, and there's problems. But guys, there's evidences of God's grace everywhere. They've begun giving They've begun repenting. They've begun following harder after Jesus. And so before Paul kind of lays it down for them, he wants to remind them, church in Corinth, you belong to Jesus. And folks, before we talk about some things that I think God is leading us to and that are going to be important for us in this coming season, look, let me, if, do I have your permission even if I don't, I'm going to do it anyway, okay? Just to mention a few evidences of God's grace this past season. I mean, do I need to remind us? I mean, if you're new here, just put your fingers in your ears and act like we're the perfect church. And we are for you right now, okay? But just a year ago, we were having a real financial problem. And, and, and part of this is the dynamic of what happens when you're in a nonprofit and you don't have a steady income stream. We don't send you an invoice every month. I continually advocate for it, but our elders, who I love so much, have said, no, we're not doing that. We don't send an invoice. We trust in God's grace 
in your life. And when people leave town and vacation in the summer and you get to August and all of a sudden it's like, "Uh uh-oh, we need to do something. And we did. We called you together. We said, we have a part and you have a part. We have to cut expenses, cut salaries, cut staff. We want you to excel in the grace of giving. And let me just say, for Oaks, you have not just excelled in the grace of giving. You have far exceeded beyond anything we could, we could comprehend or imagine. This church has been overwhelmingly generous. And I just want to say, on behalf of the pastors and elders, thank you. Because that's ministry. That's mission. That, that's, that's dreaming that we get to do again about how God is leading us. And so, thank you. As if you notice all the activity around here, another evidence of grace. Under Burke Newborn and Kirk Tannis' awesome leadership, we've begun to rent out this facility again. It's helping us fulfill the vision of what it means to make this place a third place that people actually want to come to in our community with Living Harvest and Play Big and other, other businesses that are moving in here. Thank those men for all their labors. Guys, do you realize two years ago, another evidence of grace, that we actually launched the second campus? Do you realize this? Okay, right now we have another campus in Midtown meeting. Pastor Lynch is preaching last week, 350 people at Midtown. 350 people. They're going to three services in two weeks. It's because many of you had the vision to financially support that gospel work. So thank you. This is an amazing evidence of, of grace. Uh, another evidence. We, I woke up one morning and realized something. Okay? And now this is a little bit of pastoral braggadocious. Can I do that, Josh? Okay, Josh said yes. Okay, that, that makes it okay. Guys, I think we have the greatest children's student ministries in the city. I think it's awesome. Okay? Rob and Shannon Pfeiffer are killing it. Okay? Um, we, and it's not entertainment. It's not babysitting. It is partnering with parents to pass the gospel torch to our students. Thank Rob and Shannon. Guys, we, Wednesday night kicks off here in a couple of weeks for our 7th through 12th grade. It's one, it's one degree short of absolute bedlam, okay? But show up, okay, and, and pray for them. Encourage them. God is doing incredible things. Guys, Debbie Cunningham came on this, this past year as our women's ministry director, and we've got like a real women's ministry. Have you noticed that, women? <laughs> Bible studies and conferences and in retreats, and I could go on and on and on. Thank, guys, thank you. Thanks, thank one of our staff or any of our staff that you see for these evidences of grace. Now, you guys took a survey uh, a few weeks ago back in the summer, and I just want to highlight three things that came out of that survey that we thought were particularly relevant for Four Oaks Killarne and that really point, point us forward, Okay. Let me just mention three things under this idea of people and what God is doing. The first is this. A lot of you said, you know what? We really desire to have more teaching from our pastors and elders. In case you haven't noticed, we don't do traditional Sunday school. We don't do Wednesday night. We don't do Sunday night, which means we're limited in the amount of of preaching teaching opportunities. But when we did these pastor classes back in May, where you guys came and we taught on various topics, it was an overwhelming affirmation that our church desires to grow biblically and theologically. 
And we are going to continue those pastor classes this coming year. We, we ask you, what do you want to study? What is very relevant? No, you know, no surprise, apologetics, worldview, cultural issues for all the obvious reasons. And we're going to launch those out this coming season. Be on the lookout for those. But let me say this as kind of a charge. Folks, if your only exposure to God's word comes on Sunday morning for 45 minutes, that's not going to cut it for your spiritual life. You need to be studying the word with men, with women in your fellowship groups. This is a season to jump on board. Okay, second thing that came out of those surveys, let me mention this. Does you realize 85 to 90% of you indicated you're involved in a fellowship group on some level? Either that's really awesome or you're really lying. Okay, we're going to go with the really awesome, okay? What a massive encouragement, okay? And we want to use that as a charge to call you this fall season to run after the kind of community that Paul ran after, even as an apostle. But here was, here was a third area that was interesting and I think gives us a real point of growth this season as a church family. While 85 to 90% of you said, I'm, I'm part of a fellowship group, only about half of you indicated I'm actively serving somewhere in the church. And we have to ask, how do those two things go together? And obviously, there's a major spiritual dynamic going on because when we're part of a group of people in fellowship, there's a real perceived benefit, right? There's a real benefit. But when we're serving, not always so much. Of course, the way that I would even describe it that way shows a discrepancy biblically for us. Because what did Jesus say? It is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. Because let me just, let me just say something. We're entering a season. We never want to be a church where pastors and elders and other key leaders do the work of ministry for the people. We want, in accordance with Ephesians 4, to be leaders who equip you to do works of ministry. Guys, that, that is biblical. And let me tell you one practical thing that would radically transform the whole culture of serving at Four Oaks Church. Okay, one pragmatic, practical thing. Entering this fall season, we have a ton of needs. Because we have needs in children's ministries, and in two weeks, we need about 35, or it takes 125 people to run that behemoth called children's ministry. And we need another 35 or 40 people. And if we don't get them, we're going to unleash them all in here at one time. It's going to be awesome, okay? We have needs in greeting and hospitality, and there's a ton of stuff to do. One pragmatic thing, would you prayerfully consider attending one service and serving another? See, we, we love our two services, don't we? On some mornings we get to sleep late and we get to pick and choose and it's comfortable and all that sort of stuff. Guys, if, if you would prayerfully consider, God, how would you have me sacrifice an hour and a half on Sunday to really leverage my gifts for the sake of this 
church and this body. Guys, I just think God would pragmatically, radically transform the culture of serving. If that pricks your heart at all, go talk to Joe LeBlanc. She'll be at the Connect desk. And believe me, she will find a place for you to do something, okay? But even more importantly, go talk to Shannon Pfeiffer. Guys, we don't do childcare and babysitting here with Children's Ministry. We partner with parents. And so how is God calling you to vest yourself in that way? All right, last two points, and we'll do these quickly. Paul and mission. Go back to the text. Paul says something, again, that's so easy to, to blow over, but it's so good. It says, Paul, with, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Because you realize, don't you, that, that, that Four Oaks did not materialize out of thin air one Sunday, right? It's here because John Kaiser, Kaiser had a vision and because some of you, as I'm looking around, had a vision to sacrifice your gifts and your money. And we are here 26 years later because someone had a vision beyond themselves. Guys, when, when, when Paul talks about this, this whole area of Achaia, remember, Paul's home church was in Antioch in Acts 13, and it was loaded with leaders. And they were praying and fasting, and they said, set Paul and Barnabas aside and let them go plant churches. And, and let me tell you, this was a church planting venture to beat all. They planted the church in Corinth, in Thessalonica, in Philippi. But, do you, but, but what would have happened? Just think about this practically. What would have happened if the church in Antioch said, no, thank you, Holy Spirit, we are doing just fine. We love our leaders. We, we love each other. That sounds like a Madeline or something. Anyway, we love your leaders. We love, we love each other. We love what God's doing here. There's so many needs. We just want to keep it tight. Guys, the church in Corinth wouldn't, be, wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't be studying this letter if that hadn't happened. And we want to be continually asking ourselves, Lord, what is our Achaia? Lord, what sort of influence do you want us to exert and give ourselves away, not just for the needs of Four Oaks, but for the needs of the body of Christ beyond? Let me be honest, because the older a church gets, the harder this is. Because we look around and say there's all kinds of needs here. It's one of the reasons I felt it was, you need to hear this, because I know a lot of you had questions about this, I felt it was absolutely crucial for us to affiliate with the Sojourn Network because we wanted to be a part of an organization that trains pastors and plants churches. Because we have the privilege, because of that partnership, to be sponsoring 16 church plants right now. Um, We have the privilege of setting aside our pastor preaching and saying, he's going to preach here half the time, but we want to leverage, this is Pastor Dave, but leverage his gifts and resources to impact the body of Christ. Guys, the church doesn't belong to us. Leaders don't belong to us. They belong to Jesus. And we are wanting to run hard after the Achaia in our midst. Let me mention one one thing that I think one way this lands on us as a church for this coming season. Okay? 
here locally and being connected to the body of Christ in Tallahassee. Guys, unless you've been living in a hole, you have undoubtedly seen one of the Planned Parenthood videos. And, and we, have to, we have to be real here and say what they are. Fundamentally, you have a situation where babies who are born alive with beating hearts were stripped of their organs and sold for profit. And, and that's not a choice. It's barbarism. It's, it's murderous. And it is a stain on our moral conscience, not just as believers, but as a culture. I sincerely believe this. I sincerely believe this. One day we will look back on this era and say it was just as barbarous, it was just as much of a stain as slavery was, as racism was, and we are called as God's people to stand against that. But not just stand against death, but we stand for life. And that is why we, are, we partner with the Women's Pregnancy Center. That's why we financially support them. It's why we push you towards financially supporting them and leveraging your life, volunteering, being a part of their fundraisers. Lori Mulrooney um, is our representative here at Four Oaks, and you can contact her if you want to be involved with this, because we can't be on the sidelines. And we want to run after adoption. We want to run after life. Um, we, have, we have men here at Four Oaks who volunteer at the Women's Pregnancy Center meeting with the men of some of these, these, these boyfriends, husbands of some of these women who want abortions sharing the gospel with them. Folks, this is not something we can be silent about. This is part of our Achaia. This is part of, this is part of how we want to be connected to the body of Christ. So let it be so. Last point, we're done. Paul and vision. Paul and vision. In 2 Timothy 10, we're going to fast forward just a few verses, a few chapters, 15, 16. Paul just drops this little nugget in there. And this, is a, this is a little teaser nugget for us because it shows where Paul's heart always was. It, was. it was always for gospel blessings to more and more people. Here's what he says. Our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel, here's the word, in lands beyond you. Without boasting of work already done in another area of influence. Guys, recently the pastors went out of town and we did a lot of planning and a lot of things you're hearing this morning has come out of that retreat. But we also did some dreaming. We also went to passages like this one and said, where, where does God want to extend the gospel beyond these lands using the people a Four Oaks Community Church. And so we, we went down, our retreat was down in the land of the sewer, okay, Gainesville, Hogstown, okay? You could smell it from where we were. We were in Waldo, but you could, dis- the distinct smell. And we went to the home of, 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 a grandpa- of the parents of Julie Alley of this church, okay? And her father, let me just say this, is everything I'm not, okay? So he's handy, he built this beautiful house on the lake with his own hands. Um, he And the dock that goes along with it, he kills alligators with hatchets. I mean, I kid you not. Okay? He water skis barefoot. Okay? This man is 73 years old. Okay? They had a picture of him 
from the 60s. He was a professional water skier on a calendar. You know, one of these guys doing this looked like Tarzan and Adonis all put together, okay? And he collects pinball machines to boot. Anyway, we were just loved on, and, and that's a great context and environment to dream. And it, and it helped us to rehearse our vision. I want to close with this. It helped us to rehearse our vision together. Folks, we came to this place almost six years ago in this building, and we, we, we had a clear vision, and it was this. We don't want to be settlers. We don't just want to be another church in the northeast side of Tallahassee. We want to be pioneers. We want this place to be a home base for ministry that we can launch campuses across the greater Tallahassee area, take church to the people, establish gospel community, and we are now seeing some of the fruits of that down in Midtown. So much so, guess what? They're going to probably need their own place. So much so that we are now empowered to begin to think and plan and strategize towards the next campus, which will be, we think, either in the east or the southeast. And by the way, not just launched out of here, but launched out of there. Because Midtown wants to pay it forward, so to speak, and make the same gospel investment that was made in them. It got us to dreaming about this facility. Guys, the reason we are here in such an awesome facility is that eight, nine years ago, seven, eight, nine years ago, a bunch of you said, we are going to say no to a whole bunch of things in our life temporal blessing so that we can invest in this so we have a home base and our desire is that we not keep paying on this building forever and ever um we want to we want to pay this off and if that doesn't excite you think about this when you get to pay off your house why is that exciting because it frees up money to do cool stuff right frees up money to give away or to invest or take vacations or Whatever, or whatever it is that God has called you to do. Guys, we have the same vision for here. And we're sowing seeds. We really look at this. I mean, guys, a prominent theme in this book is generosity. Generosity and giving, but not just giving, but serving and investing. And we pray that God will use this book to do his work of grace in our hearts and point us to where he wants us to go. Paul concludes with this statement in verse 2. We'll use this as a launching point to communion. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As John Piper says, Grace and peace are not things God gives to us once and for all. Grace, every day we need new measures of grace and peace for new moments. Folks, that's, that moment for us is now. We need God's grace and peace.